You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. What's up, music fans? Welcome to Modern Musicology. My name is Alan. I've got two of my co-hosts with me tonight. Stephanie Seymour, how's it going? Ooh, hey, everybody. And Anthony, how are you? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and I am well, thank you, Alan. How are you? <laughs> Great. Unfortunately, our other co-host, Rob, is not with us this week. We will miss him while he's out gallivanting and seeing shows and stuff like that. But we have a very special guest joining us. We have Ira Elliott, the drummer from Not a Surf. Ira, am I here, how are you? Am I here now? I'm yes. I'm <laughs> I'm quite well. I'm quite well. I'm quite well to stand in for Bob, who I I hardly know. I don't know Rob, at all. Really. Rob. Oh, Rob, Bob, Rob. I'm very familiar with him. So I <laughs> <laughs> he has his own special nickname. Yeah, for no, him. we have a thing. We have an understanding. So I, can, I can call him that. No one else calls him that. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. So our topic tonight is what makes a great drummer? And we have three drummers on the podcast tonight, plus a bass player who bass players are so attuned to what drummers do. So I feel like he's going to have just as much input as all of us. Um, before we get into that, though, Stephanie, we haven't talked to you in a couple of weeks now about There Was a Time. Yeah. So. Give us a little bit of an update. And I think tonight is a great time to do that because Ira played drums on the track and shows up in the video. So, Indeed. yeah. So Indeed. tell us what's going on currently so, with There Was a Time. The, so the video the, keeps creeping up. I don't it's wonderful because I don't know who's watching it, but someone is because there's still some radio stations playing it here and there. I mean, it's been like six months now since it's just been out and people are still playing it like Palmyre from her, you know, serious radio is randomly still playing it, which is amazing. And so I still have some weird momentum going and I'm now kind of not even actively promoting it, but it's just, it keeps creeping mm -hmm. up here and there, which is cool. Mm -hmm. And yes, Ira, I just want to tell you that when I heard Ira play this, what was the Bee Gees cover that you were doing, Ira? Oh, um, my friend Nights Chris on Broadway. and I were doing, uh, we did some classic disco, uh, Nights on Broadway. I Nights think. on Broadway. Ooh, I heard one. Ira put this cool video out, and I just, from that, that sort of sunk into my brain. The playing was amazing on it, and the singing was amazing on it. And I, when I wrote this song, I just knew that Ira was the guy. I don't know why, but it just knew it. I just did. And it worked out so perfectly. Yeah, I, I, it was amazing. It was amazing. Uh, yeah, the, the whole confluence of it. Yeah, I, I loved being. I loved being. I loved that I was able to contribute to it. There was something really magic about it. I, I'm happy to talk about it as, as much as you want. It was magic because you know what? You were so. Um, you gave gave me such positive feedback that I felt like wow, it was like validating. It it really was because sometimes you know when you write something or you play something, you're like, what yeah. the hell. And yeah. you just every time, I mean, can we talk about your tears or are we not allowed to? It's, true. I, I, it's absolutely true. Like there's, there's something and that's not me. This is the song itself. There's something in the song itself. The song is very is very simple and very effective. As soon as I heard it, I really liked it because it was already there. Like I could imagine 
kind of what needed to be done. It was like a wonderful, like simple soul gospel kind of song. And uh, so I heard a couple as a drummer, you know, I, I heard something immediately that, you know, I just hear the gaps and like, oh, a drummer could really do this thing and make it feel this kind of laid back, very sweet thing. So um, so I heard it immediately. And there was also the song was constructed in a really great way. Um, and that it kept like it would pay off and pay off. The, the, the hook was really strong. And then there was a I'm blowing a lot of smoke. This is such a great song. But uh, uh, thank you. But then, <laughs> You thought it was like done. Okay, I've heard you verse, chorus, verse, chorus, and you have the solo, and now we've got to the last chorus. Okay, I got it now. The song will be over, right? And then they do this. She does one little change where she just goes to the a, a B section. There was, you know, there was hope, there was peace, there was uh, love, and it just like it just does one little shift. They add like one chord, extra chord goes in there, and it's heartbreaking. It's really beautiful. And every time I would get to that part, and and then Stephanie's voice goes up and up and up, and then she hits this really one plaintive note high in her this very soulful aretha note high in her range and she really means it you know like every time you hear it in her voice that she really means it oh and when God. someone really means it they're not faking it i'm gonna cry now thinking about it i'm like uh, you know i'm very as a drummer I, I think i have to be extra sensitive because drums seem like a blunt instrument but they're not mm. drums can be a very super expressive and they can bring out stuff that you didn't know was there because drums are like drums are like subtext to it. You know, there's, yeah. there's the song, there's the lyric, and then everything else around it is subtext to the song, including the drums. And it can really, uh, it can, you know, highlight things, it can stand out of the way, it can frame things. So I'm very philosophical about it. But in this sense, I had something that was really beautiful. And all I knew I had to do, I just had to keep out of the way of it and let it be. And I was luckily also able to, I just because of the pandemic, I started recording myself, which was another thing I'd never really done before, and it makes you a better drummer. But, uh, you know, so I was able to luckily find you know, I had the time and I sat with it a couple of times. I, I didn't play it too many times, five, six times through, I think. And then yeah, like yeah. happened. And I tried with, I tried some experiments and, um, and then there was that double time thing, which we weren't sure about. I was using the double yeah. time thing in other parts because I thought it was good. And we ended up just using it in that, in that uh, B mm -hmm. section. And it really made, it changes the feel somehow. It's kind of, mm -hmm. something happens. I, I couldn't explain it myself but it just makes the whole song move along beautifully and pulls you perfectly from part to part. Mm -hmm. You want the drums to do like, just like lead you through, not overdo it, not underdo it. Yep. So I was really, uh, I really felt like I, like I was in my element doing what I do best and, and song really allowed me to just do something very simple and direct and, you know, and it worked beautifully. I'm very proud of it. He would say he would get to that one part and he would get tears in his eyes. Like every time I would get to that part, I would play through and I'd be like, <laughs> So I said, Is that why in the video you have your glasses, sunglasses on? No, I wore, I wore glasses because I knew when I even sitting there in the wide open uh, out, in the, out in the wild, I knew the same thing was going to happen. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, because every time you do it, that's the thing about a song. Like every time you do it, you're, you have to kind of imagine that you're really doing it for the first time. So, right. Yeah. 
when you're right. recording really and when you're playing live you're trying to sort of get that first time feeling yeah. every time. Well, how many how many takes on the video did you do um i think uh i we went to my neighbor's house she had a beautiful yard and we uh, not too many. I don't think I did. You only sent us like maybe six or seven, maybe. Yeah, I don't think, you know, we did some like, I like start close different up. Shots. I wanted mm -hmm. to cover a lot of different motion. I wanted there to be motion and stuff. Right. Like that. I didn't want too much static stuff because that's the good about, thing about, I always was shooting stuff in my studio, like static camera, which is boring. So I wanted there to be a lot of motion. So I think I had, I had my wife, yeah. Jen, do it. Uh, and his, yeah. His idea of being outside yeah. burned us all to, to be outside. And well, to no, have I, I saw it, I saw it when I heard when you said to me, like, oh, we're going to make a video. And I immediately like, because, you know, I had just done a video project with um, my band, the um, the Bambi Kino. I, I play yeah. with. And it was sort of a remote project. And we were doing a, uh, a video for um, uh, Adam Schlesinger, who had recently passed. And we did uh, that thing you do, and I did what I normally do, which is shoot I in my that. box of a shed, which was fine. Uh, you know, I wanted this sort of Ringo black and white thing, but all the other three guys shot like out in the open in Brooklyn on the train platform in a backyard and a thing with lights, and I was so jealous. I'm like, oh god, oh, man, <laughs> I should have done that. I felt really, like suddenly restrained, and so this was a ch the next chance to like let me just get out in the you know in a green field you know it works so so much nice because everyone is in their house you see everyone making these videos and they're sitting with their keyboard in their right their apartment you know it's you know it's nice to sort of remember there's a world out there so uh yeah i thought it worked really nicely for the song i, I heard it being this very buoyant sunny it's such a sunny song you know yeah, yeah. So like a great way to describe i don't want to do it in a static thing in a room it would it would suck all the life out of it i wanted there to be motion and life in it wonderful thank you from like oh, the bottom you. of my heart. <laughs> thank you for asking me to do it. I, I'm I'm extremely proud of it. Me too. So she's gonna ask you when she does her next one too. So oh. <laughs> I'm ready to go. I got a new snare drum. I'm ready. I'm. I know that snare is sick. Yeah. I know. I just started to play. Just started tuning it up yesterday. Woo woo. Yeah. Wow. Yeah yeah. I'm like a kid constantly. It's a Christmas for me. A drum comes and it's Christmas again. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, what have we all been listening to over the past week? Anthony, what's been on your turntable or your digital Ooh, turntable? It, it's been very varied this week. Um, as I'm gearing up uh, for a few weeks' time to head up to New York to see Porcupine Tree, they've yes. been very heavily in my rotation. Uh, very, very excited for that show. Um, they're going to be playing Radio City, which will be my first time going to Radio City, and it's a, one of my bucket list venues. So... Lots, cool. lots of, uh, of play for Porcupine Tree. Still playing the new Arch Enemy album, um, which is really quite jarring with the other uh, artist who has had quite a lot of playtime for me in the last week because it goes from melodic death metal to slightly quirky pop in that the other artist I've been listening to is Marina, formerly of Marina and the Diamonds, <laughs> and her last album, Ancient Dreams in a Modern Land, which I heard forgotten how incredible that album is um it's probably up there as one of her top two of the five she's done so far so really it's, it's been those three things mostly i've been listening to a lot of drummers this week to prepare for this show um lots of bands i know that have very very good drummers as i'm trying to isolate what some of my favorite drum fills are but uh, mm. we'll get into that later <laughs> Stephanie, what's you been playing? Well, you said you had a new thing this week. I do, which is, you know, for me, I'm always about the old usually, but I knew Rob or slash Bob, as Ira calls him, it was not going to be here, that he always has these new things. So I, I, I took the plunge, 
my friend Melissa is a huge Muse fan and she's always posting about Muse. So oh wow. They have yeah. a new record out this week. And yeah. it is called Will of the People. And I, I didn't listen to the whole album. I just listened to the single, which is also called Will of the People. And I really dug it. To me, wow. it's, for, for, it's a, first of all, it's obviously, it's a protest song. I mean, they're really all, they are all in on their, the, the, I just want you to know that there's a song on this album called We Are Fucking Fucked. So they're, they're really just all, you know, they're all in on the protest. So this, this song kind of reminded me um, like hopeful, with hopeful theme. We yeah. Ho- right. <laughs> um, of sort of a Depeche mode, like a, a personal Jesus kind of sound with like a scissor sisters twist meets a spirit in the sky kind of twist. It was, so I really said that's to insanity. Hear, <laughs> yeah, I know it was, a, it was, a, it was a, like a hot mess of a sound of a mix, but it all worked really good. Wow. And I, I loved it and I want to hear more. So I haven't had a chance to listen to the full album so mm-hmm. far, but from what I've heard of the other singles, uh, Compliance and I think Won't Stand Down, mm-hmm. it sounds like it's a really mixed and varied album because oh, Won't okay. Stand Down is really heavy. Probably mm-hmm. the heaviest thing they've done since probably the Origin of Symmetry era. Okay. Um, whereas other songs are a bit more mellow. It, it just seems like it's a very eclectic album from what I'm hearing. So Awesome. I also hadn't had a chance to listen to it yet because I've had such a busy weekend, but I'm really excited to dig into it. Ira, what's what's been filling your ears this past you know, week? I, I, well, uh, you know, this week I've been, this whole conversation brings up two very interesting things. One is that, well, they're not interesting. One's interesting to me in that I'm just doing a demo for a friend of mine. So that's really all I've been listening to this week. I have a friend of mine send me, well, like Stephanie did, she sent me a demo their song, like, hey, I want to put some drums on it. So I've been recording with a friend of mine from LA uh, and just, you know, his song is in my head and I've been fighting. He sent me a recording of a song that's very loose and he did it very dynamically and he wasn't really thinking about a drummer when he sent it to me. And so trying to put drums on something that never was supposed to have drums on it, it's not, it's almost wow. impossible to do. So I've been obsessing with that. But the other part of this conversation, and Anthony reminds me, because like I, I like I, I have to fight my 60-year-old self not to tell you that I've listened to Wet Leg this week because <laughs> I feel like, like awesome. which I have, but the problem with me is that I, I'm facing this this thing now, this uh, crisis that I'm getting older and like I'm not listening to music as much as I did when I was in my in my 20s. And I was yeah. like, hot for like what's happening, what's on the ground, what's the new thing. And I feel totally, completely removed. You just rattled off a list of bands that I'm sure everyone knows. I have I didn't recognize one of those names. I have no idea what you're talking about. No, I'm with you. And I'm not proud of myself. I'm not like, oh, I'm so great from the 70s. You know, it's 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 boring. It's boring. I just don't want to be boring. So uh, it just points up the fact that I need to sort of get my ear to the ground and, and spend some more time. I'm going to get on Spotify and just do my homework. And, yeah, I really feel like I'm, I'm up for like putting aside some time, literally putting aside time to every day, like just listen to a bunch of stuff I've never heard before to crack my egg. Cause I'm really, I'm, I'm boring myself. So I'm kind God of the, bless you. Yeah. I'm, I'm the same way. When I was a, in my twenties, I would just vacuum buy albums. Yeah. I would vacuum it up. Right. Just come home, put headphones on and that would be my afternoon. And I, and I would look for new things and yeah. I would, and I, it's just not, so and I've been actively listening. If for you new, remove yourself for a while, then you get to right. this point where you're like, Oh, I can't catch up anymore. Like I'm so removed from what's happening in the modern right. music that I feel like, ah, I'm overwhelmed. And right. then, you know, then it's, you spiral down. 
And, and even if I can't hear everything, I try to stay attuned to who is happening at least. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, I have a lot of friends with good musical taste. So I watch, you know, I see what they listen to and so, but I have to make more. I got to make an effort myself. I can't let someone else do it for me. <laughs> and it's, it's funny you say that, Ira, because I'm in my mid 30s and mm -hmm. I find I don't actively go out to find new bands anymore. So every band I've mentioned, I've listened to for 10, 15 years. Oh, yeah. See, there uh, you go. With yeah. one exception, I I do have one other shout out I forgot to mention. Uh, <laughs> one other album I've been listening to is the new album from The Chats. Oh, uh, yes. Australian punk band I've been talking to. Their new oh, album is called Get Fucked. Yeah. So, uh, that's been it's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and it's really good. It's yeah. really, really I'm a, good. I'm a sucker for anything with that. that and the, I remember an old, the song by the, uh, um, what was that song? Fuck the People by, uh, do you remember Fuck the People? It was like the first lead single off uh off that album by the uh it was the two of them was that duo she was in the rock on not the rock on she was one in one of uh, she was in dead weather and no. she was in the dead weather and then she her she had a partner who played guitar oh i'm so burying myself with this one. Oh, the kills the kills thank you very much fuck the people was like there it was like this first single on the first record and that was like an anthem what a great fuck you that song is <laughs> one of the great fuck Love yous it. of all time Welcome to the fuck episode of <laughs> Modern Musicology. Oh, I, Sorry. I know there's a lot of, I know exactly. a lot of uh, preteens listening to the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this past week, I had a couple of things that I was listening to. And, and like last week's show, when I had things prepared, then I like last minute got sort of si like derailed on what I was going to talk about. I discovered uh, after watching something on Hulu, I can't remember what it was. Oh, only murders. After that, I saw a little thing on the screen for Metallica at Lollapalooza. And I thought, well, pff, that has got my name all over it. I have got to watch that. <laughs> and it ends up being like 35 minutes. So it's just like five songs, you know. And so it's like a highlight of their set at Lollapalooza. Having watched that, then like five other ones pop up underneath that. Uh, Cascade, um, a rap artist, a DJ, I can't remember who all it was, uh, and a new band called Royal Blood. This is a band that I'd never heard of before. And I thought, well, I got to watch this. And it was like 28 minutes. So at 35 minutes, the Metallica episode was the longest of the batch. Um, Royal Blood was kind of interesting in that it was basically a drummer and a bass player. The thing is, the bass player is basically like he's got a guitar body that's strung with four bass strings. It has a bass head on top, and it's done in a way that it's producing guitar sounds like full chords, but he's plucking one string at a time. And I'm like, there's some there's some trickery going on here, and I don't know what at all it is. And so I was so like attuned to what he was doing and you know, if there are other parts going on, like other vocal parts or other guitar parts that aren't being represented by what his fingers are doing on this bass, that I never actually focused on the songs. Mm -hmm. I was so, and and sometimes you know, modern technology is to the point where you can pull off all sorts of things mm -hmm. in a quote unquote live setting that mm -hmm. you wouldn't have been able to in the seventies or the eighties. Mm -hmm. And in a way, I really don't like it because I feel like. You're trying to pull something over on me and I'm going to figure out what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I don't ever get around to appreciating the yes. songs that you've written. 
Yeah. So it, that was a fun one to watch. I got to say, I'm going to watch it again and actually not look at it and just listen to what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. I've been a fan. Of, I've been a fan of that band for a while. In really? That, in that they sound like, well, if you're like me and, uh, and you like, like, there's a lot of bands that try to sound like Zeppelin. Yeah. Zeppelin-esque riff rock. And usually they, they're transparent and you just think how little they sound like Led Zeppelin. Nice try, boys. But right. these guys are doing this kind of big riff rock in a really, in a great way that really invites you in, and it's very enjoyable. I, I never saw them play. I, I listened to them for a while before I ever watched them, and even realized it was just two guys, which in and of itself is pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. But you know, a lot of huge bands and over the past couple of decades have been two-person bands that sound a lot bigger than they should. The White Stripes, yes. uh, uh, Black Keys. Uh, uh, back in the 90s when Not A Surf was first touring, we were on a, we were on a bill with a, a band that had a hit at the time called Local H. Local H had a very Kurt Cobain-esque uh, sounding singer, very talented guy from Chicago. And it was him, he, he did the same thing. He played a guitar that was either detuned or run through some octaver. Mm. It sounded like a guitar and a bass, just him. And a drummer who just was the hardest hitting drummer I've ever seen in my life. It was just, wow. He was yeah. a murderer. But it was compelling just to watch and to hear this huge noise just from two guys. And, and the people who can wield a guitar properly can, you know, get an amazing, yeah. you know, again, all those guitarists, Jack, Jack White and so forth, can get an amazing uh, expressive sound by doing almost very little. Mm -hmm. you know, the right guitar, yeah, they're running it through some technologies, you know, they're doublers and, you know, uh, octave shifters and so forth. But yeah, I there was, that, but I think you give give Royal Blood a, a listen to their songs. Oh, I will. Really, they're really fun. They're highly memorable. I like really rock. I liked them both as performers. Yeah, I thought that he was such a great frontman, and the drummer was so um, good. They have, yeah, they have great yeah. energy. They're really super likable, and they're regular looking Joes. They're not like yeah. rock stars. They're very, they're just regular. They're dudes. And there actually was a third guy on stage with them at a keyboard off to the side. Yeah. Uh, the camera yeah. never focused on him, so I never mm -hmm. actually know what it was that he was doing. He was only he wasn't even there on one of the songs. Yeah. So uh, it's it's definitely a situation I'm, I'm going to be looking into. I mean, so they, they have intrigued me. It's very their music is very 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 precise. It's yeah. not like loose like blues rock. It's very very metronomic. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me if some of it was on a click or he was listening to a click or something or something like that. Oh, yeah, there were definitely some drum samples going and things like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so we're going to take a quick break. we got to run a quick ad. We'll be back in 30 seconds. We're going to talk a little more to Ira, and then we're going to get into our main topic, what makes a great drummer. So stick around. Maytag washing machines. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> Winter is coming. Prepare with a fine cigar and listen to the Cigar Nerds Podcast. We smoke cigars and talk about movies and all kind of nerdy things. Available at CigarNerdPodcast.com. Also on the ESO Network at ESONetwork.com. All right, we're back. Thanks for sticking around with us. Ira? Yes. Tell us a little bit about what's going on with you. You said that you are working on a demo for a friend. What else is going on? What's the latest with Not a Surf? Uh, we just came off. Uh, you know, we've been off the road like everybody else for about you know, close to two years, give or take. And yeah, we finally started going back out late last year, in like November of last year. We did a little American thing, and then this year we've been out 
two or three times, uh, two, like two or three weeks in Europe here and there, a couple of about a week or so in the States. So we're getting our toe back in the water. Uh, what happened was in the, in the, the, the big picture was that when the, the pandemic hit, uh, we were in the we had just started touring a record that we were extremely proud of. We spent, uh, you know, you make a record, you're in love with it. Yeah. And it, we had worked really hard on it. We were in a beautiful studio in Wales. We were just had everything. It was just like a perfect thing that we made, and we were super proud of it. And in the middle of doing this, the you know the zombie invasion started. So we tried, <laughs> and uh, and so now you know two years go by, and so we're kind of we're, we started doing what we did when we stopped we just kind of went back to highlighting that record and so forth yeah. but in the general scheme of things what happens is when a band like us goes on the road it's you can't just kind of we can't just run out there and play anytime we want usually it's in in uh, support of a new release otherwise you're not going to get people to come out to a show you know if you have new material new band and you know they, they people come out but after you have two years you know it's it's it's, it's rough so uh, the two-year gap where, you know, other artists were, you know, producing, making stuff. We are apart. And maybe Matthew was writing stuff, but we were not actively writing during that period. We were happy mm. to have, I think part of it, partially happy, have nothing to do for that two-year period. period. <laughs> Take a little break because we are like old, we are like an old family. You know, sometimes you could use a little, a little me time. But uh, so, uh, but the general plan is we're going to do one more little run of dates in Europe in, uh, in December. And uh, the plan right now is to go, the bass player, see, we're an international conglomerate, not a surf. So I live here in the continental United States, as does the keyboard player. And the singer lives in uh, Cambridge, not the one that we have here in America, but the original one. Yep. They, keep, they keep that in England. Full of colleges, so he lives over there in college town, and then the bass player is it's very is Spanish, not little Spanish. He's very Spanish, and he lives down in Ibiza, which is this little bunch of little islands down near the Balearic Islands. Down oh, that's on, why you were there to like rehearse and stuff. I see. I'm always there hanging with the celebrities on the beach. <laughs> And uh, so he lives, he's chosen to live there, his fabulous life there on a, on a, on a volcanic island there in the middle of the, of the, of the ocean. So we're going to trudge off to his house uh, for two weeks, work on some material, and then go in January, I believe the plan is to go back to the studio in Wales, which is famous. It's called Rockfield and uh, uh, Queen recorded Bohemian Rhapsody there, for wow. example. That's like the, that's their premiere, like, you know, the, oh, by the way, uh, you know. <laughs> Uh, so it's a beautiful studio. It was the first studio ever built um, for the artists who live in residence at the studio. It started in, about, in the mid '60s, a converted farmhouse where the artists would actually live there in some rooms. And then you'd walk down to the studio in the morning, record all day, go back to your rooms. That didn't really exist uh, before that. Uh, it's fairly common now. But uh, so it's a beautiful in Wales. You know, there's verdant rolling hills, oh, it's with beautiful. walking around. It's it's so beautiful, and it's removed from anything. There's a little town. Evidently, Dave Edmonds hangs out. He lives in the town, and Dave Edmonds hangs out at the local bar. Not that means anything to anybody. It yeah. Means yeah, I know but, Dave um, Edmonds. Um, so, uh, so we're gonna go back there and do that. So that's the not a surf plan, and then from there, you know, that's our so like record in January. Then it all has to sort of like yeah. happens. and then it's like mixing, mastering, album art, blah blah blah, blah and stuff. And now you also they they just re I guess it was Heavenly that just released your Let Go album. It was the 20th anniversary, so that's on vinyl now. Is that right? Yeah. That is true. I forgot. There was a small period where we were luckily on when we we were originally on Electro Records. And when we got extracted ourselves from that situation, we went um, on two record labels. We ended up here in America on wonderful Barsook Records out of uh, Seattle. And uh, in, a, in we got a release in Europe on Heavenly Records, which is another fantastic label. We were only there for 
for I think for the length of that record. I don't know if they released anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, Jeff Barrett, who ran the label, uh, um, just a, a great friend and loved the record and was a great supporter of the band. And so we were lucky to get him on our side. And yeah, I guess it's been that long. Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't believe when it was like twenty years. It's a dull, it's you know they split it across two pieces of vinyl. So yeah. You, fidelity kind yeah of matthew thing. was like four sides four sides like what yeah, you, always, you know you're trying to get a lot of songs and then when you realize you're going to put something on vinyl you're like Ugh. you know once yeah. you go over a certain amount of uh, time on a piece of vinyl you start to reduce the the uh, the uh sonic uh, you know clarity starts to get you know start to lose low end and yeah fidelity and stuff like that That's so yeah great. we're happy to spread it out across very lavishly across two pieces of vinyl Pretty sweet. Yes, it's been. I can't believe how long it's been. So yeah, the uh, you know the journey continues. We 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 just can't stop. We can't. We can't stop. We don't want you because you are like one of the like seriously. Every release is just better than the next. And no, thank you, thank you. I hope you keep it up. One of my favorite bands. We've had a good streak. I think even an excellent streak. (laughs) All right, let's talk about some drummers, shall we? Yeah, yeah. What what does make a good drummer? Anthony, what do you think is the qualities that make a drummer a great drummer? Well, I'm going to state the obvious one. It needs to be able to keep time. Yeah, that is a key. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say another thing that's a bugbear of mine. Please use your snare properly. I'm looking at you, Lars Ulrich. I knew you were going to say that. I'm still mad about (laughs) things, Anger. Oh, oh, man. I'm so... I have a shirt. A friend of mine made me a shirt that says uh, "Greater than the symbol, greater than Lars," which I wear proudly. <laughs> wow! <laughs> that that yeah. Well, man, Lars. Okay, can you can you define what it is about this? What he does wrong with the snare drum? Go ahead. So I'm not a technical enough drummer to know What's, exactly. It sounds, what, it sounds wrong, right? It sounds like yes. trash can. It sounds like he's it's hammering like away big, on a trash can, like he's hitting a bell and not a snare drum. Right. right. Why is that a why is that an appropriate sound? It is not. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the, the the only other thing I would say is, and Alan, I know when you and I did that episode where we looked back on Wasps the Crimson Idol, you yeah. your one of your criticisms was that was overplayed from a drumming perspective. I think a really, really solid drummer can be technical, but knows when to rein it back and what's actually appropriate for the record that's like to my point of of like dynamics which is also a thing that i think that drummers need to be conscious of very much so because you know if you're smashing your way through a song it might work for one or two songs but it doesn't necessarily work for every song you have to be conscious but my my number one thing also i and i what i always would try to do when i was a drummer was pay attention to what the singer is singing and try to work your fills or work your emphasizing, you know, whatever around the lyrics and what is what the mood of the song is and that whole aspect of it. That's mm-hmm. I I really like to key in on the singer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have to agree with all those things. You know, you brought up timekeeping, Anthony, and that's you know, timekeeping is like a relative kind of a relative concept because there's people who keep great time, but if you put them on a clock, it might be slightly imperfect, but it yep. doesn't matter. And there's people, the people who can be rock solid time, but you know, might not want to play with them because they, it's not groovy. Right. It might and be soulless so, almost. So there's a kind of a, there's a kind of a, I'm, I'm still learning this as a drummer because I'm, I, I consider myself to be like, I, I, I'm self taught and I learned to play just from playing in front of audiences. So your imperative 
to me, one of the imperatives as a drummer is simply to, to reach people through rhythm. Like, I'm just going to set up a beat that's very simple, and you, human being sitting some distance from me, will be compelled somehow to either, if not jump out of your chair necessarily, but to like simply maybe shift your weight from side to side. Yep. You know, maybe that's it. If I, I could win on that point, like just, oh yeah, this feels really nice. If in your head you think, oh, this feels really comfortable, the drummer's got this. I think the first point of a drummer is to sort of, is to, is to, uh, engage, to engage the, the listeners through rhythm and can mm. sort of comfort them that I've mm. got this. It's a drummer's as a, as a number of skill sets. One is about sympathy with the, the other players, just having an, uh, or maybe it's empathy. I, I, maybe the empathy is the word I mean, mm. uh, where, you know, you just understand each other and you may not be the, that's the Ringo, what I call the, uh, the Tao of Ringo, the Ringo paradigm. It's like, you don't need to be a technically great player with chops. You just need to understand you just to be the right guy for that job in that context. So he yeah. didn't need a Berkeley degree to do what he did. And some people somehow that seems to be like a negative. But what you see there is a deeply musical person who know how to apply his musicality across, a, like I said, a blunt instrument like a drum set, which seems rather, you know, how can you get music out of that horrible thing? So, uh, um, you know, it shows you that the skill set of that a very competent, you know, in tune person who understands what simply needs to be done and is not encumbered with a, a huge skill set. That was kind of in his favor. He didn't have all these mad chops he kept trying to throw into, you know, I've got a feeling. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, right. right. Like, like didn't need it. Doesn't. Yeah, he came from a simpler time where these sort of the skill set that became important for drummers to acquire in the 70s and in the 80s, you know, it changed over time. It's also yeah. we're all seeing a motion of time where drummers now generally I think will have a higher competency level than drummers a couple of generations ago simply because of their availability of you know uh, uh, videos online I mean just being able to watch a drummer you know do something it, you know I, I I didn't leave the house till I was about 13 or 14 so I didn't know what was going on I, you know I listened to records pretty much exclusively and then once I started to go out to see people playing the drums actually live in rooms I was like oh that, That's oh, how they oh, do it. Do, oh yeah, I get it now. Yeah. And then but there was no option to like just watch a video. I had to tune, you know, I had to watch American Bandstand on, you know, whatever Saturday morning. Yeah. You know, I had like three opportunities during the week. You know, Cheap Trick was going to be on Don Kirshner and uh, you know, and whatever. So that, that was, you know, the, the, you had to sort of, it was, the, it was the imagination mostly. Yeah. But yeah, it's sort of empathy with your band and yeah, using your musicality across the instrument is the most mm -hmm. important thing. Yeah, mm -hmm. man. So many, many things about it. Yeah, great points. Um, I want to I want to expand on what Anthony was saying about knowing when to rein it in. I think a drummer knows when to not play. It mm. is a tendency, and it depends on the type of music you're doing too. If you're doing, like, if you're in a punk band or whatever, you, there's probably not going to be that no. many opportunities that it's appropriate to not play. Mm. But I think depending on the type of music, if mm. if a, a it's always the tendency of the drummer to just bang the shit out of stuff. Yeah. And I think when you know this part of the song, this break, mm -hmm. this verse, this whatever, this bridge doesn't need me. Yeah. I think that's an important thing. But yeah. another thing, and this is building off of what Ira's saying. Um, another thing is I always know intimately the arrangement of the song that we're playing. Mm -hmm. So that if another player gets lost or something, or they, you know, don't really get how to count a section or, 
you know, I've been in a number of different bands in the past where it's like um, they will say, I don't really, I, I, you know, when I'm doing this part, I kind of don't really know when I'm supposed to come back in to this next part. And I always say, listen to me. I am going to lead you in. I'm going to tell you when this next section is supposed to start. Yeah. And uh, so it's that being attuned to your uh, fellow musicians, but it's also knowing what you're, what you and they are supposed to be doing. Yeah. That's a great point. It's, it's, it's a position I, of responsibility, no doubt. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, uh, I think what you're saying, your first point about space, I guess, I think like Stuart mm. Copeland was a ma is a master of that because in the, music up, least, absolutely. Huh? What? <laughs> <Abusing> up. <laughs> <laughs> of cluttering up is great. At sometimes. I'm just being like that. Go ahead. I know. I'll, I'll, I'm but like they, there was I'm a lot understand of space how much I love to Copeland, but please. <laughs> <laughs> there was just a lot of space in that band a lot of times, you know, and I mean, he did go bananas sometimes, but he, he, uh, they also just had like very sparse uh, places in a lot of their songs. Um, and then I was going to say something about to Anthony's point. I think Alan, you had something that you were going to uh, uh, add to, but um, in terms of keeping time, mm -hmm. yes, keeping time but there's songs there's, there are some songs that where speeding up and slowing down seem to be appropriate and i have an right. example of that that i that i always think of what and it's by it's lightning crashes by live and mm. you know they start out wicked slow i mean you just you're you're you know you're lightning crashes and old mother dies. And by the end, it's like, oh, I feel it coming. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like they, he, Chad is like off to the races as soon as there's a little bit of a, of a, of a momentum going in there and he takes it away. But I think it totally works for that song. Yeah. So there's yeah. some songs I think that you don't have to necessarily stick to your BPM count. No. Agreed. I vote. I, I think that that sort of elasticity is important. I think that um, keeping a good beat doesn't necessarily mean being a metronome. Right. You know, well, there's also the performance aspect too. In this case, what you right. have is something sort of takes you on some sort of emotional journey, and it totally you does. Know, listen, lust for life gets faster and faster. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, that's part of the magic of that song. It, you know, it kind of gallops along. It sort of gallops out of control a little bit, but that's kind of what <laughs> you wanted out of Iggy Pop to begin with. Right on. On the flip side, and I'm going to avoid naming the song or the band, but Alan and I have both seen a cover band uh, here in Atlanta where one particular song, the drummer has, or the former drummer of that band, had a tendency to drive it way, way, way too fast and it did not Listen, end the song I'm, whatsoever. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of the faces. I'm one of those guys I love, you know, I'm a classic rock guy. So like Zeppelin, I got Zeppelin on one side and I got the Stones on the other. But I'm like, man, Rod Stewart in the faces, like... Mm. Pound, pound for pound, pound for pound, fighting weight, <laughs> better, best singer, great rhythm section, great soloist, guitarist, except for Kenny Jones. Oh, right. oh. Kenny mm. Jones okay. is a great drummer and he's a very yeah. interesting drummer and he has a great yeah. history. He's got a great track record. He was in the Small Faces, gold star. Right. But if you listen to live recordings of the Faces, he was the guy who was going to, as soon as his foot landed, bang, they jumped 10 beats per minute. <laughs> right, right. He just ran away. If Ron Wood had a great feel, and he'd go, 
every time. He was he was he was maybe a little more drunk than everybody else in that house. <laughs> <laughs> a little more cocaine than Rod. I guess he was, he was sitting next to the cocaine supply because Rod would come back when he didn't have to sing, honk up a few cobacks. <laughs> they probably kept it right next to Kenny, and maybe that would explain it. But also <laughs> Kenny Jones, who I love, I right, love. No. I'm not disrespecting Kenny Jones, but he was a wild card rhythmically in the faces line. Mm. Yeah. It's so interesting that you bring that up too, because we actually discussed him uh, four or five episodes ago. Uh, we were talking to a guy who's written a couple of bios about Keith Moon. And it's so mm. interesting to listen to the who and how that changes going from Keith Moon to Kenny Jones. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and Completely it's funny that early on, different. Their styles were very similar. If you listen to them in their early sort of R, you know, uh, yeah. R&B days, yeah. they had this rolling, rollicking sound, very similar, you know, early Ludwig sound. They both playing Ludwig's about 65, 66. And they had a very similar sonic style. And yeah, they're very divergent by the time they got to the end. But, you yeah. know, Moon was such a, was such a, you know, like a one in a million kind of personality and such an unorthodox approach to the drums. I mean, right. He, anyone would sound like a fish out of water stepping into that spot. Exactly. I don't know who could have possibly followed him up. I would there. love to try, but I <laughs> know that kid, you know, the kid they pulled out of the audience. I love that story. Anyone, oh, in, yeah. any drummers in the audience? You know, that's <laughs> no. That's that. Oh, there's a, there's a video. You can find it online. It's like in Texas, 1976. And they're in the middle of a show. Uh, and uh, moon passes out during song like five. <laughs> And then they there's a little break and they they're back again and they're playing they're sort of dutifully going and there's like a couple of cameras working the stage kind of grainy video from the 70s and there's one shot where like you see that the two roadies have uh, have hoisted Moon up and they're literally dragging his lifeless body out <laughs> limp from behind the chair and uh, so now the who leave the stage whoo and uh, five ten minutes later uh, Townsend uh, sheepishly guitar around his neck. Strides back on stage, walks up to the microphone, and says, "Well, <clears throat> any uh, any drummers in the audience tonight?" <laughs> and some random 14, 16, 17 year old kid was like, ah, "I'll play the drums. Come on up, son." And this this kid got up out of the audience and sat and played. I don't know. I think two or maybe three songs wow. behind Keith's kid. I mean, he's nothing to write home about. And you're not going to be like, "Oh, this guy's great," and they, you know, they hired him on the spot. Right, he, right, right. He wasn't very good, and it was a hard thing to do. But sure, is, but there it is. Like it That's, does, it can happen. It has yeah. happened. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I was, and I was a stupid. Like I said, back to Copeland, I was one of those guys. Mm -hmm. I, I, I lived and breathed Stuart Copeland and the Police for I don't know, five or six years, from about seventy-eight to about eighty-two, eighty-three. Mm -hmm. I was like absolutely. That's how I, I learned. Like, I think that's how you learned. Like every inch of my room was covered with posters, badges yep. everywhere, everything. I was like a teenage girl where the police were concerned. <laughs> and um, uh, and I would go to the shows. And I'm like, you know what? If Stuart Copeland has a heart attack right here, I could just go. I could just bam. <laughs> I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't drop a beat. I know all this. I know everything he's going to do. I was so so obsessed with Stuart Copeland. I, you know the energy with which he played. I was too. Yeah, I, but mean, I, see him I see him differently now that I'm older and he's not in the police anymore. I have a different view of Stuart Copeland. But I know because I saw your post the other day, but that was really funny too. But, <laughs> you know, I think like he, so for his showiness and, and, but you know, also the space that I said he gave a song. I also mm -hmm. like the, the drummers, like, like a Charlie Watts or like Gina shock, who I think yes. very much admires Charlie Watts, who, who they are, you know, they have a signature sound. They really do, but they're very mm -hmm. much more straight. Um, 
you know, but, but you know, it's them. That's what I think is so cool, you know, but, and then there's those, and then there's those guys that like, um, like an Alex Van Halen, who you also know exactly the second he hits the drum, you know who the, who it is. And he's, he's just like, so opposite that, you know, he's so showy and so heavy and just, so I think it's so cool that you could have so many different kinds of styles and, and stand out, but you know, you, it's 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 just like it could be so many things yeah it's a personality you know the drummies are really like any instrument it really ends up being a a, an extension of the personality of the drummer themselves yes Mm -hmm. and just to bring it back you know you've already talked about keith moon but the guy himself was so damned eccentric oh my god no surprise that his drumming was yeah weird as hell as well i just read i was reading about this i'm totally obsessed with moon and uh one of the things about his crazy drum set is that first of all, his drum sets tended to be symmetrical, unlike most drummers, where drums tend to go from side to side, small to large. Yeah, um, Keith's went were exactly the same side to side. So there was three matching ones up in the middle, mm. one, two, three, all the same size, right in front of him. Huh. He had floor tom on each side, same size, two bass drums on each side, same size, one cymbal right kind of out in front of him, and pretty much one on either side of him, which we'd play back and forth like a windshield wiper. Mm-hmm. Um, so the kit was symmetrically laid out and the three toms, I've always been wondering like, what, how did he, did he tune them differently? And I finally found an, a, a, uh, an interview with Entwistle who said, uh, no, he, he tuned them all. He played forward because he had another, at some point he had another rack of toms out in front of that. He had the ones with the heads on it. And then he had a four with no heads on it out in front of that. And there you could hear individual tones because they went small, medium, large, larger. But Mm -hmm. he goes, the three in front of him were all tuned exactly the same. So, you know, if he missed one, there was another one right next to it. <laughs> <laughs> there were insurance. That's right. New insurance comes. He just wanted to get, you know, if he wanted to go this way or that way, he had a number of routes by which to get there. That is Amazing. awesome. Amazing. He didn't even like, I'd be like, oh, can I tune this one up a little higher and the other one a little bit lower? I'd be like trying to magic that out. He was like, no, A, A, A. Like, that's it. Right. Yeah, he didn't care. And still, oh, he was it. moving. There's no, no mistaking that sort of rumbling sound of him. Yeah, yeah. Thra- thrashing away. It's it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. So, do we want to talk about our, our fits and maybe our favorite kind of fills or flourishes or some you know anybody? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. So yeah. Who wants to take start? Take it away. Who wants to start? Well, so uh, my understanding was the brief was to come up with five, and it well, was very difficult for me okay. not to have. <laughs> All of them be by Gavin Harrison, who is probably my favorite drummer in the world right now. Uh, so I've, I managed to narrow it down to one Harrison fill. Um, and that is just before the breakdown on Fear of a Blank Planet by Porcupine Tree. Mm. He just It's a very simple fill, but it's very Gavin Harrison. And it just really bridges from the chorus into this guitar breakdown. And it just works so well. And it's so distinctively him. And I can't imagine anyone else doing something like that and out of their entire discography it was so hard to narrow it down but i think wow. that's the one that always sticks out in my mind right on okay do you have any so, more oh yeah, yeah go ahead um you do yours so this one's a bit of a cheat and that's the intro to painkiller by judas priest which was scott oh. travis on wow. drums and he actually was in the studio doing his warm-up and the other guys heard him do it and went wait, that's really good. Can you do that again? We want to open our album with that. And you know, he comes in and it's like, pa, 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 pa. And then it 
goes into this double bass before the guitar then comes screaming in you know glenn tipton with the I sounded like a dying cat, so I apologize. That's um, awesome. So good. I love nothing more than people describe the people when they describe drum parts. Everyone has their own language. Yeah. What drums sound like? I love this so much. Yeah. Thank you. I enjoy that. Keep going, Anthony. Please. The, the remaining ones I have, I'll probably do a mix of trying to imitate them and and not. Um, so I'll I'll kind of balance them out. The next one I had was. Um, Ian Pace on Burn by Deep Purple. Okay. So the fills he does during the verses, and we talked a little bit earlier about trying to avoid doing that while someone's singing. But somehow on Burn, you've got Coverdale basically roaring in that deep voice he had in his early career. And then, you know, the rest of the band, Lord's doing his thing on, you know, on the um, Hammond. And Ian Pace is just going berserk on the drums behind Coverdale. And somehow, despite that being something you shouldn't really do, it works for him. (laughs) Um, Keeping with that kind of era, Bill Ward of Black Sabbath. uh, This is probably not something a lot of people would necessarily um, call out as a track, but it's one I really love, which is from Never Say Die. It's a track called Junior's Eyes. Mm. And it's actually a really, really emotional track. It's about, uh, I believe it was about the death of Ozzy's dad. Mm. Um, but, you know, in the chorus, Ozzy's doing his signature wail, you know, coming home again tomorrow. And then you've got Iommi with his riff. And then you've got Bill just going, uh, hang on, let me try and get this right. And it's like, Ozzy sings, the guitar riff goes on for a bit longer. And then in between the lines of Ozzy singing, Ward comes in and does his bit before going back into the regular beat mm. when Ozzy picks up the next line of the chorus. It's really well done. And I think it's a signature of that kind of tasteful yes. uh, drumming yeah. where you mm. know yeah. when to shut the fuck up. Mm. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. Fantastic. And then the last one we mentioned, Moon. And specifically, I wanted to call out a quick one while he's away. Which Ooh, which one? Is, yeah. I mean, it's Full that whole track is bonkers. <laughs> but specifically what he's doing on the section that, you know, my name is Ivor, I'm the engine driver. And he's just <laughs> saying, and it's just, it's the most insane. You, you've got to see the live version from the only, um, that's the old, is, is there another version except that the rock and roll yeah, circus version is the, the rock the and roll circus version. There are, just, there are other versions, but that is the one. To Ira's right. point from earlier, you've got to watch him play because he's yeah, yeah. just, it doesn't make any I sense. mean, he's all over yeah. the place. I mean, I'm I'm amazed. I have a, Plus, I he's have, like he, up from his stool. He's like he's standing half the time. He's sitting half the time. He's like, how does he even like? And he's hit? like yeah. lurching back and forwards. Yeah. And it's well, just, the, as an as a as a self proclaimed moon yeah. quiet expert. First of all, you have to show that he he didn't really sit at the kit. He really was standing. Oh, he okay. was practically his position was his knees were you know most drummers modern drummers sit at a forty five degree angle roundabout maybe up a little bit. I sit with, you know, just a few degrees up, 15 degrees up. He was, and Ringo the same way. 
their their legs were like at a 75, 80 degree angle. They were practically standing at the hip. They were sort of shorter guys and they were standing. And so the reason that Moon played the way he does, he doesn't play behind the kit like a desk. He plays down across the kit like it's a big xylophone down below him. Mm. So he plays out and down underneath him. Ringo did the same thing. The drums were way underneath him. He played down. You saw him, not the drums. Same with Keith. The drums were kind of That's interesting. And he also played very skinny sticks. So he got his, he got a very fast whip around the kit that was his signature thing was these lightning fast uh yes. right around the kit that mm-hmm. was his signature thing and you see it and there there what he's doing is he's hitting those accents and uh boom boom there's these big sort of downbeat accents and while he does these he smashes the cymbals down then throws himself almost backwards off the chair yeah twirling the sticks in both hands and comes back down again kabash and flip <laughs> kabash and flip I have it in a little rotating thing on my screensaver. It's, it's just impossible. It's so there's so much energy in it, and the fact that he doesn't fall over backwards when he does it, it just defies gravity. It's yeah. an unbelievable thing. If you, it's one thing to spin your sticks in your hands. Try spinning your sticks and then throwing your arms straight up in the air while you're doing it. I guarantee you, like you're you're gonna, it'll, they'll never stay in your hands. I don't know how he does it. He's <laughs> he's one of those drummers who's just so entertaining to watch because he's so eccentric in in the way he plays. Exactly. Like, he wanted it to be about himself. You could see he's singing the lyrics along. He's making pulling faces. Yeah, completely, completely involved in the the lyric of the song. He knows every word. He's yeah. playing it out for you. He's playing the parts in the song. Yeah, he's, he's like an actor. Up. He's like and an he actor. And yeah, mm. and he does that bit at the end of Ivor the Engine Driver. He picks up the floor tom, which he's been playing the side of, and he throws it across the room. And when it hits the ground, they go, dang, dang. Yeah. You know, it's like one of those, like, the thing hits the yeah. ground and they hit the chord. When the floor <laughs> tom hits the ground, sprang. Genius. <laughs> yeah. Show business. So good. It's so eccentric. I, I mean, I think there are probably three drummers I really enjoy watching, and they're all for different reasons. Moon, because of that eccentricity. Harrison, just because of how precise he is with everything he mm. hits it perfectly every time yeah. i think he's he's probably the most precise drummer big name drummer out there and then yeah. the other one just because of the sheer sizes fucking drum kits is mike portnoy um don't always love what he does but his kits are just yeah. ridiculously like an Alex big Van Halen kit. um yeah. And he's he's very entertaining to watch, although uh, live he spits a lot, which is not very attractive. But you know, what can you do? <laughs> it's, a little, it's a little too rock for me. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm done. I'll, I'll yield right. to that someone was, else. That was, really, that was a great list. That was a great yeah, list. that was a good list. I'm, I'm just going to say that I don't think we ever actually need to use music clips in our show. I'm just going to have Anthony... <laughs> Sing them all yeah, to yeah. us. That was I, totally, was I know great. exactly what he meant. Loved it. I yeah. know. I love it too. I, I got three if if, I, if it's okay if okay. I go now. But um, yeah. um, so Iris' favorite drummer, Stuart Copeland. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, I think, well, Every Little Thing She Does Is Magic is like my favorite song. And I oh, think no. everyone's going to know that, that, that Phil. But it's, it's when he's, when Sting is like, Thing she does is magic, and he's like, and then EO, so it's just that. Oh, I know, I know exactly what you're doing, you know. That is like that to me is sort of perfection. That just there's nothing like you just don't need a lot, but you just need that extra special sauce, and that's what that is, right? Um. The other, uh, I have a Charlie Watts one, which I actually must give the time code for this because it's shat, it's in shattered. And this mm, is one, mm. one of those songs where, you know, Mick is sort of, there's a lot of riffing going on in that tune. And there's a lot of like instrumental riffing going on in that tune. Like Charlie is kind mm-hmm. of 
doing all these little weird things. But at 318, right before Mick is saying like, this town's full of money grabbers, he does his just tiny little fill. It's literally a little flourish with a cymbal crash. It's like, and it's, it sticks with me. I don't know why, but it's like some little piece of heaven right in that song. And that whole line, when he's talking about that, the town full of money grabbers, like, uh, Charlie is really doing some cool, yeah, like with yeah, the soft and the there, yeah. yeah. Oh, he's, he's on totally on fire, totally. So that's he like that's yeah. two. And then my third one is maybe an odd pick for you might not think I would pick, but Mick Fleetwood in Don't Stop Thinking About Tomorrow. And there's it's it's like towards the end of the song, mm-hmm. like, you know, there's a couple of hard stops in that's in that song, but this is after all that, and it's sort of the last part of the chorus, so that so where he's like. They're singing, don't stop thinking about tomorrow. Don't stop. And he goes, oh, no. And sorry, it's, it's let me let me do that again. Because it's, 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 let me think. It's, oh, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> no, go ahead. No, you got it. You got okay. It. Yeah, no, no. Because I was thinking. The extended, the there's a couple of interesting ones. There's one. Yeah, there's a don't the line. stop. And he's thinking about tomorrow. Don't stop. It'll soon be here. Mm-hmm. It'll be here. Like, oh, what yes, the he, goes even further. Right, he doesn't right. stop on it'll be on the one. He, he's right. singing and he's going into the verse. So he's yes. so paying attention to that. No. The lyric, because yeah. it, the whole point of the song is it'll soon be here. And, yeah. and that he's just smashing it on that instead of where you think he's going to do it right. beforehand. So that exactly. that's like my fate. That might be my favorite. Actually. That's really cool. I wouldn't have thought of that, but him ending that fill on the two instead of the one makes so much. It like yeah, it changes that. the whole thing. Exactly, it's so yeah. good. The whole feel of it. Yeah, that's like simple. That's a really simple musical brilliance right there. Just crossing over the line a little bit and yeah. yeah. Actually, you know, I, I love that so Beautiful. much that I made Sim. I, I when Sim Sim Kane was a drummer on my There Are Birds album, I actually mm-hmm. said to Sim, "I need you to." I'm sorry, but please copy that fill and put it on this. We put it on Violet Crown. He added his own little twist to it, but I was like, that's just, it has to be there. Yeah. Cool. That's brilliant. So Ira or Al. I'm up now. Okay. Well, I I was, I, I, I did, I I wasn't completely diligent, but I, I, I know what comes into my head first. And the first thing, and I always joke about this, like if I had to sort of, jokingly tell you that my entire style is copped from one song i would say was probably barracuda by um like i feel like every oh, fill i play yes. is from barracuda dude like, now you're singing my song bang you know and and you realize not only going is he going he's 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 doing at least one bass drum in between bang bam so it's he drops a bass drum in between it he may in fact be dropping two in there if i'm not mistaken but uh, yeah, you hear these things later. Bang! Like I use that all the time. Uh, there's another one in that. Um, uh, what's the other one he does? There's so many. Like all those. Well, either post Bonham is like the ones that go boom, bat, boom, which is a sort of a Motown fill. Mm. Like Bonham uses it all the time. The drummer in in uh, in in, uh, in 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 hard uses all the time that boom, rap or a boom. Bruh. Boom, bat, or just that kind of boom, bat, like I, that, you know, became like stock phrase for me. But yeah, Barracuda is one. So the mm. back, bat, da, 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 bang. Mm. Like, that's, that's awesome. That's a really good one. I, I, I've lo- always loved that one. Um, what comes, oh, there's a fill in this came to, this is the second thing that came to my head. There's a fill that I don't think I can actually execute. It's in Heart of the Sunrise by Yes. And uh, I've heard this fill all my life. And it's, uh, 
Bruford is obviously, you know, the whole song has, you know, has a million parts. So let me try to sort of go in. There's a, um, there's a, uh, there's a solo section before the final chorus is out. And there's like, you know, there's guitar solos and there's keyboard solos, like, uh, you know, there's this kind of winding and as they're uh, winding guitar solo and as they're transitioning from part to part, um, just before they go to the part where the Hammond organ is playing, there's a Hammond part. Just before they get to the Hammond part, there's a drum fill where Bruford goes, it goes, uh, I'm going to slow it down, it goes, one, two, three, four. Bang. Yep. It's very quick, and he 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 kicks it out so fast you almost don't notice it. He's like cutting out really hard uh, uh, halftime right at that point, but he just throws in this. It's like this little punching bag thing he throws in there, and it still amazes me the this the simple fluidity of his playing at that top speed to throw in this beautiful little polyrhythmic fill. That's like it's always like made my heart sing. I've only now in my old age been able to get somewhere close to that style of being able to play that way. Alan, um, you just wow. you, you looked like you were gonna well, freak out when when Ira said that. So okay, well. You stole things from my list first. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. That's quite all right. That's why. Um, there's plenty more. There's plenty more fills where those came from. Exactly. When I was growing up and when I was like first sort of getting into drumming and getting my first drum set and figuring out how these things work and listening to records and teaching myself to play, my big influences were uh, Peter Chris from Kiss. Me too. Michael DeRozier from Heart. Me too. I, there you are. And another one that I was really, that I didn't get into right away, but later on that I, I sort of like really started to get into, yes, didn't come around early for me, even though I heard roundabout on the radio and things like that. It wasn't until later on that I really started to like get into and study and Bill Bruford, we were talking earlier about that, that like sense of drumming being something musical um, Bruford almost had a sense of melody about the way he played. He understood composition and phrasing, and he had a very, like, he had a musicality about his playing that a lot of drummers don't have. And I was thinking of Heart of the Sunrise as uh, an example. Really, but to tour de force, really, his playing right. on the whole track is really shockingly, because it's very light. It's not really heavy. Yeah. And exactly. It's so, it's so he's dancing over the drums in such a beautiful way. Right. It's really shocking. Dancing over the drums is exactly yeah. the description. Yeah. So I'm going to go instead. I'm going to name uh, some parts from yeah. from Close to the Edge. Yeah. Um, and the cool thing about that song is that when they get into the second or third verse, whatever it is, the verses are all in three four. The rhythm part, the second time they come around to it, is in four four. So the parts don't exactly match up until four times through the, the the verse, three times through the rhythm, they end at the same point. And it's so cool. Why people to don't hear. like yes, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we love it and other people don't. <laughs> exactly. Um, so Bill Bruford has got a lot of things that I love. So when we were coming up with like, what would be your favorite fills? It was so hard for me not to just name an entire list of Neil Peart, uh -huh. who was my other big influence growing up. Um, and I am an ins like I have to beat on things. I have to. And when I hear a song, when I'm listening to a song on my headphones or whatever, I have to play the drum part somewhere. 
and I am an incessant steering wheel drummer. And <laughs> so when I'm driving and a Rush song is on, I have to play the, the bit. I have to. Very dangerous, super dangerous. It is, yeah. but I think, you know, I think Neil Peart has probably killed more drummers. <laughs> right. And I've, I've told my partner, if I'm ever, if I ever go into a coma and I'm not responsive, just play Rush music. Yeah. And if you start to see my fingers like tapping out the rhythm, you'll know that I'm responding and I'm, oh God. I'm still in there somewhere. It's like the Metallica but, video. Oh God. <laughs> um, prepare to prepare to be Russified. Right on. So, uh, but I, so f another one, that's not any of my like growing up um, examples of like people that influenced me. Another feel that I thought of that I really, really love. And it's mainly snare, couple of hi-hat hits and then down onto the toms and it's in simple minds and it's oh. uh, don't you forget about me and it comes oh. into the bridge part and it's just keeping a a bass drum beat boom 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 you know he's doing the boom four on the four on the floor kind of thing and then coming into coming out of that and into that last big chorus he does this thing it's like and i just think Hell that's yeah. the coolest I think that's the coolest fill ever. <laughs> yeah. I, I've tried all. I've tried a million times to execute that fill. I can never hit the hi hat in the right place. The, oh. the hi hat's in a place where you don't expect it, and it surprises me every right. time because I play along with it. And I'm like, and I get the first part. I get those first three. There's and there's a somewhere. Right. I always do it on an up, and it's on a down. I don't know. Like I, I want to do. It's it's simpler than you think it is, and yeah, that's a perfect perfect fill. Yeah, absolutely, great one. And when we were first talking about this uh, topic, do you? Yeah, when we were first talking about this topic, I, I told people nobody is allowed to bring up in the air tonight. No, don't, don't do it. But don't. but then I thought, okay, I have to bring it up because I have a funny story about it. I used to go to concerts in the seventies and the eighties in Lakeland Civic Center, which is a big ten thousand seat arena, and see all the big bands, and they would play the songs on the PA you know, slowly increasing the volume to get your ears ready for the big onslaught of volume that's about to come. And, you know, the, the place is filling up because back in those days, every show was general admission. So everybody got there early or you don't get a good seat. And so this place is like, you know, at least eight or 8,000 people by this point, the show's about to start. They're playing the songs. In the Air Tonight comes on the PA. And, you know, it's a quiet song for most of it. And you hear 8,000 people just, you know, just chattering and carrying on with their conversations and doing their first hits of acid or whatever they're doing. And you don't think anybody's paying attention to anything until that part. And you see 8,000 people go, boom, 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 boom. And then they just go back to their conversations. <laughs> Amazing. Fantastic. So great. So, so great. I, I know we weren't allowed to mention in the air tonight, but... <laughs> I, I do want to give Phil Collins a shout out because he, in his Genesis days, was an excellent drummer. And was. beyond things like Supper's Ready, which had the insanity that was mm. Apocalypse in 9-8, even yes. when you get a bit later on, a song like Down and Out from uh, the And Then There Were Three album. Mm. I mean, it's so syncopated. I, I've had people listen to that and say, that yeah. sounds like a, the track is skipping. What the hell? Mm. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you've got Tony Banks uh, on his keys um, doing, bah, 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 bah. no, I'm messing that up. Ignore yeah. that. But, you know, Phil is 
is doing all this weird shit behind yeah. it. He's a so spectacular the point, drummer. Yeah. 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 He is. And apparently they couldn't really play that song live very often because they mm. could very seldom mm. get it right. Yeah, there are a few recordings right. out there where it's excellent, but mm. man, he could drum. Mm. Back I, in got, the day. I, I got into him uh, as a teenager. I didn't really know that earlier, the, the Genesis, the earlier Genesis stuff was not, but when they started playing like later Genesis on the, on, you know, uh, um, uh, Turn it on again uh, yeah. from from uh, from was that an Ab- Abacab or no, Duke? That yeah. On Duke. On Duke, yeah, oh, um, right. Duke and Abacab. Those two records were incredibly influential on me as a drummer. Yeah. I just played along with those all the time. They're so yeah. much fun, and the fills were elaborate and fun and laid out. He's you know laid anything you can lay out across like six toms. What a fun! I mean that's the one, but like all the whole you know all these like big fills, phrased out fills, and I've actually tried to do that on my kids. Really hard to set up what he's got going with the four yeah. kind of open toms right in front of you like that. He's kind mm. of reaches up and whacks him. I, I've tried to set up that way. It's not easy to do. He, he, he benefits from playing a very small bass drum. He has a 20 inch bass drum. Uh, any larger would he those drums would have to go up a yeah. lot higher. So right. he gets them really low. And he also sits quite low. Phil's one of those guys. I think the reason, the reason he has back and shoulder problems mm. is probably he sat in such a very, very unusual hunched yeah. kind of way. He sat, yeah, with, the, with this drum snare drum quite low between his legs, I don't think that did him any favors. Not only that, because he's looking up and singing too, so he's doing so yeah. he's hunched, yeah. in, but he's doing this. Yeah, so. I'm thinking, I think this is. I, I, my guess is that the the core of his physical ailments stem somehow from from this uh, from posture issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I've I've had postural problems from years and years of drumming myself. Yeah. I mean, it's. And uh, nothing on the scale of what he's done. So I'm sure it's no, you can imagine, taking like, a toll. The kind of work that he does night after night. I'm mean, going to watch some video the other day of him live on stage, some huge concert, and he sings, uh, oh, he sings In the Air Tonight. And he starts, the, the whole band's there, and he comes out and he plunks himself down on the edge of the stage. He sings the whole front first verse, sitting with his legs dangling over the ledge of the stage. And like, you know, it's like in Wembley. Yeah. You know, with the little headset mic, you know. And he... And then as they tell him, I can feel it in the end. And as he stands up to sing and, and he ambles it back to his kit while singing the second verse. Wow. And then he sits down and then they kick into that thing. Yep. And then he and he belts out, you know, in that full throaty voice of his while also doing exactly what's on that record. And, and not kind of like half, like full on, like he's whacking the living. He plays really hard. He's mm. such a, so physically engaged with the kid. It's beautiful to watch. He's really not holding back. He really knows how to hit him. And he's singing his ass off. I mean, you know, pitch perfect, you know, with that sort of grasp in his voice when he sort of would reach up high that he mm-hmm. does. You know, that, that song is built on his ability to hit that, the sort of plaintive quality of those, you know, those notes right at the end. He keeps the old Lords at the end, you know, yeah. it obviously doesn't matter what he's singing. It just so it sounds that way. Yeah, no, he's a huge, tremendous influence on me for sure. I had the pleasure, sorry, Stephanie, of of seeing him with Genesis in 2007 on their reunion tour um, at Twickenham. And, you know, going into the drum duet he did with Chester Thompson and then into Los Endos is just, was mind blowing live. Mm -hmm. And this ties back into a show we did a while back called How, which was called How Old is Too Old. And seeing the footage from the tour they did. I forget whether it was earlier this year or whether it was last year. That that seemed so sad to see him so frail and yeah, yeah. unable to drum. Um, yeah, oh, it's, tr- you know, it's very tra- super tragic to me. I mean, he was lucky he had a great career as a singer to fall back on. But yeah, to, to, suddenly you find yourself, you know, 
I, I can't imagine suddenly n not being able to like, you know, hold a stick in my hand. It's right. Just, it's really tragic, you know? Right. Something you said, Ira, which was, you know, being like so connected and sort of being part of the kit. Oh, just, I don't know why this is such a random, um, opposite almost, but I feel like, um, Debbie Peterson from the Bengals, she had that, um, really effortless thing where she, 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 you know, she basically can do anything and sing the perfect notes all the time. All, all the bangles can, they, they, they effortlessly play and they, they, their voices are like angels, but she, she has that thing where you almost, you don't, you almost don't even see her playing. She's just playing because it's just coming right out of her like right. naturally, you know what I mean? Like, and yeah. it's connected to the kit. And I also yeah. felt like that reminded me also of Carla Azar which I don't know if you've ever seen her play, but no. she, like uh, my, my favorite projects of, of project of hers was the Eroica album by Wendy and Lisa. I mean that seeing her, seeing her on tour, seeing her play, it, it, it was like a thing of wonder because she, she's like her, she is her drum set. I feel like she's like one right. in the same with the drum and it's like just mm. melded with it. Right. Well, that's what you ultimately want. I think you want the drums to kind of disappear. And like any artist, you know, you're not thinking about the drums or your technique or any of those things. You're just making the music. You know, you're thinking the rhythm and you're expressing the rhythm and your your body yeah. is just doing it. And that's why she's able to also, you know, a great drummer can separate themselves and, you know, do that. And also, you're you know, belt out, a, belt out a tune like, you know, like that's another different skill set that, you know, she's lucky she was a great singer and was able to sort of both, you know, like disconnect those two things and have them both work in tandem that's totally like, like effortlessly i yeah. can't some people can do I never cannot do it yeah i, I, I have I to can, play I can, I can do it but with some amount of effort i used right. to sing lead in my high school bands and play drums so it's to me it's not a big deal but i i i think that a lot like some people just yeah some you like can't. anything it's, it's like anything you if you do it all the time if you like yeah if you sit and play your drums while singing, you'll eventually get it. Right. You know? I don't know if it counts, but I can just about sing while playing drums on rock band. <laughs> Very nice. That's the closest I can get. <laughs> all right, y'all. Ara, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Oh, it has been such oh, a pleasure. It's been a joy talking to you. The cows come home. <laughs> oh yeah so we may have to do this again because there are so many things that i we haven't even gotten to yet oh man like yeah. i could have i was going to give you a couple of examples of my least favorite ever drum fill but we'll Ooh. save that for next time oh <laughs> <laughs> sleep tonight it is so awful okay anyway. well after, at the end of the show before no, don't tell anyone okay. you and you tell me what it is all right so ira where can people find out more about you on the internet or well, not a surf. Well, there's a notasurf.com. You could go yep. there, notasurf.com. And if anything's going to happen, it's going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> all the action is at notasurf.com. Yeah, there's tour dates. It's going to be there for release at the 20th anniversary. We got an anniversary thing. Uh, that'll be there. All the everything, all your notasurf needs. Uh, you, have a not a, you, you also have a notasurf official Instagram and Facebook There is page. an Instagram. You're right. Thank you. My, my, you. Uh, my, my. my my manager. Uh, yes, there's an Instagram. There's an, all that stuff. We, uh, we're totally in the modern world. I'm here in a cave. But the rest of the band's in the <laughs> All right, Stephanie, where are people going to be finding you? You can find me at therearebirds.com. You can find me uh, on Bandcamp. And you can find me on my Facebook page, which is Stephanie Seymour Music. And also Instagram, all lowercase, there, underscore, r underscore, birds. And, and people platforms everywhere. And and people should.
go to YouTube and they should type in their search bar, Stephanie Seymour, there was a time, and they should watch that video because, A, it's a great video, and not only are you wonderful in it, but Ira is fantastic Yo, in it. yo, yo. Thank you. I so, want to show off that beautiful mid-60s drum set. Go, Just don't look at me. Look at the kit. Don't even – I'm not even there. No, he's, he's so adorable. He's in it, and he's wonderful. And Come on now. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Anthony, where can people find you? So as usual, you can find me on my other podcast, Watchers in the Fourth Dimension, in which we are watching our way through all of Doctor mm-hmm. Who from 1963 until now. Wow. Uh, we have just come to the end of the John Pertwee era, so we're in 1974 right now, so very slow progress, taking us three years to get there. Oh my! Uh, as always, you can uh, find us on all of the usual streaming platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, stitcher uh etc etc and even where you're listening to this podcast if you're so inclined and and what's the most recent episode that your podcast released oh yes we had alan on as a guest <laughs> for our third doctor retrospective Smooth. which is called the shatner of doctor who <laughs> and uh it was a lot of fun it was a pleasure to have alan on as a guest for i think probably the sixth time um yeah. so looking forward to having you back again alan but yes do check that out that came out the morning that we're recording this episode of this podcast and i also have another podcast called earth station trek it is all about the nerdiness of star trek and uh, we're currently doing weekly reviews of new episodes because lower decks just started back up this past week and i've got my publishing company cosmicpress.com where you can find uh, us on facebook and twitter and instagram and it's spelled with a k and a z because as much as rob complains about bands who spell their names weird (laughs) i got nothing to say on that topic because of the way i spell my publishing company k-o-z-m-i-c-press.com all right so Everybody listening, thank you so much for joining us. We will see you again next week. Everybody have a great week. Take care of each other and be nice to each other. And we will see you soon. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network. Your station for all things geek.